Five years ago, Gino Vanelli joined us for our 100th episode of Inside MusicCast. At the time, he was in the process of recovering from a nearly devastating in-ear monitor accident that he feared had permanently damaged his hearing. Fortunately, through a variety of self-healing therapies and teaching himself new singing methods, Gino overcame the trauma and has been touring, writing, and recording new music. In fact, Gino has written over 40 songs since his last album project nearly eight years ago and is in the process of completing a brand new album. To chat about this new album project, among other topics, Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome back Gino Vanelli. Hey Gino, welcome back to the show. It's good to be here. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, listen, uh, you know, it's it's funny, Rick. It's been five years since we've had Gino on the show. And I can't believe that. I know. It's <laughs> the last time um, that uh, you were on the show, Gino, you know, you were barely recovering from that horrific uh, sound check accident. And I know that you remember that probably much more better than, than we would. Oh, we God, do. don't remind me. But, you know, that, uh, you know, that did some severe damage over the years. But five years oh, yeah. later, after we've spoken, how, how are you doing? We spoke about that on the phone a couple of days ago. Well, you know, to remind folks who are listening, uh, about about five years ago, I was doing a sound check, and um, some unwitting tech guy, um, just as I was testing my in ears, uh, and I, you know, foolish me, I, I I just lifted the level really loud just to see if there was hiss or if there was any kind of signal. And as I lifted the level really loud, at that moment, um, perfectly timed, he unplugged the cable, and and I don't know. If if you know what it's like, you know, to hear an unplugging yeah, yeah. of a cable. It's every frequency known to mankind. And it was so loud, it threw me to the floor. And uh, oh my gosh. I lost all hearing, all hearing for about, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. It slowly came back. And then I noticed that we had two concerts left, three concerts left. Um, my hearing just wasn't right. So I, I and I, I felt a little weird about it, but I kept lifting Mm-hmm. my in-ear level because I just couldn't hear well. And then I, a week later when I got home, it just all hell broke loose. And um, Jeez. if anybody ever wants to talk about it, it's it's really, uh, I, I thought I'd, not that I'd seen it all, but I thought that I'd been through the gauntlet many times in my career and in my life. Um, you know, all that travel. I mean, I, I've been on planes that have been, uh, just struggling to stay up. I've been on planes that have been hit by lightning. <laughs> um, I've been in life-death uh, situations. I've been in parts of, well, I won't say where, but in parts of the world where I've, I've had uh, machine guns held to my head. And I mean, I mean, I, I, I've experienced a few things. And this was nothing quite like it. This is like with you 24-7. It's like mm. uh, hearing, you know, the... The kettle whistle blow twenty four seven and um, yeah. too loud and you know when we spoke on the phone uh, just just recently you also mentioned I guess uh, alluding to I mean sort of piggybacking what you're saying that you've learned also an awful lot about let's just say the the human physiology is, oh, yeah. you know, the, especially matters of the of the ear you know tell us well, about that what you meant by that because you've you know, learned it, an awful it, lot uh, you know my my son had a back injury he had a car accident three years ago and. Um, yeah. I told him, uh, getting healed or healing yourself or whatever you do to get healed, it's not uh, so much a condition or a way or a thinking. It's a code that you live by. And um, I happen to believe that there is a cure for everything. Maybe not the cure that you expect, but there is some kind of cure. 
And so for, for, for years, uh, I tried this, tried that, traveled many, many places, um, mm -hmm. learned so much about the hearing, um, the mechanism of the ears. And even, mm -hmm. I mean, what's really wild about it, even as bad as the tinnitus or tinnitus was uh, for a while, I could actually tell that the frequencies were in tonics, fifths, thirds, sometimes um, sixths, a few times even a major seventh. It's an amazing thing. Even with a, a, a terrible curse and condition like that, there was still some method to the whole thing. And I noticed what would egg it on, how it was uh, tied to my nervous system, and my nervous system is really tied to my thoughts, and so on and so forth. Uh, some of the healing could be attributed to time, but a lot of it really truly is attributed to um, having a mindset, you know, to get it straight. In the meantime, I learned how to sing in different ways, because not only was the sound awful, but it, um, the, the pain was sometimes pretty excruciating. Um, and um, I, I learned how to sing with my uh, earbuds al almost off, just enough to hear the band. Right. And uh, I hear my head uh, vibrating more than actually my ears. Sure. Well, I, I was going to ask you about that because, you know, you know, after that injury, you know, as to how you set up your your touring setups, especially from the monitor perspective, you know, uh, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, have do you wear the earbuds or do you not even use them at all? Well, it's still more dangerous not to wear them. It's just that you have to be very careful when you do wear them. Uh, the kind, they're, they're, they're the kind you wear, how tight they are, um, the frequencies you're stressing how loud they are. I mean, you know, something that close of proximity to the eardrum is, is, is quite delicate and quite dangerous, but still more dangerous to walk into a hall where a band is playing with loud amps and yeah. so on and so forth. Not, I mean, we're really not a loud stage, you know, band, but uh, nonetheless, if you walk by a drummer and he just whips his snare, it's pretty loud. It's 120 dB assault on your ears, you know. So, I, I mean, for years it was just... Really, I had, you know, in a sense, you know, iron ears. People, the band, the guys in the band used to call me, you know, Iron Man. Um, nothing ever bothered me. Yeah. But this, this electronic pulse to the head, this, this was something that. Um, yeah. Let me, di you know, let me digress for a second. You know, I, I, I'm reading this book by this admiral who uh, was a commander of the of the, all the West Coast Navy SEALs, and he wrote a book called I think Make Your Bed. And um, you want to hear a challenge? Yeah. This guy, one of his first parachute jumps, he, he's a young SEAL and training to become a SEAL, and you know, the good chance he won't become a SEAL, like, like most of, uh, of the soldiers. But he's up there, and he's got to do a parachute jump. And he jumps, his two chutes will not open up, and he's falling, uh, he's already fallen a mile. And finally, they start to make sense to him, but the problem is he's got one chute, there's always two shoots, you know, a spare and a regular. Yeah. The spare is tied around one leg and the regular one is tied around the other leg. Finally, they, 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 they spring open and they rip his legs apart. He tears his pelvis almost uh, 12 inches. I mean, you'd want to talk about <laughs> Jeez, wow. That, that is something. So he falls to the ground. <laughs> he breaks more bones in his body because, you know, he can't break the fall at all. And yeah. he's laid up. You know, for months and months and months, and they they tell him, let alone walk, you'll you'll never make the seals. Well, you know, 
no need to to say any say any further. He not only did become a seal, but he became an admiral and and the commander of all the West wow. Coast seals. So I mean, there are people that really apply that code, mm-hmm. uh, and and yeah. uh, for a while, for years, all I did was read about people uh, who've been through horrific things and how they made it through it. Yeah. So you surround yourself with people who who have a really can-do attitude. Right. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, with time, with time and patience and faith, if you have faith, uh, you can heal. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. Hey, Gino, we know that you've been uh, touring quite a bit lately, and uh, Eddie and I are curious uh, if you could describe your, your touring setups that you've you know, had for the past few years, and you know, does it change much? And, and of course, I know you've got some great musicians that, that go out with you, so could, could describe your touring setup uh, of late. Well, it hasn't changed for about six or seven years now, and it's, it's, we've just kind of honed it, and uh, hmm. uh, we, we keep sharpening it, and keep improving it, but not by much, by by very very uh, slight increments, because uh-huh. it got to a point or where it was really good, and I could feel the timing and the songs, the chosen songs, and how the musicians played them, uh, some of the sequences, some of the horn arrangements I wrote. Uh, it was really, I mean, the first two three years were not rough, but you know they were just getting there, and finally. About two years ago, I got it to the point where I think we peaked, and then I started, um, you know, replacing songs uh, that I thought w- would just be more for my purpose and for the band's purpose, uh, because what was happening was already working. So we just yeah. keep, uh, you know, I wouldn't say improving the show, but I would say changing it up a little bit so that we stay interested, and in that sense it improves. But we have three horns and a rhythm section, I think we're uh, eight, sometimes nine on stage. Because we do a couple of songs from the from the Good Thing album uh, acoustically, um, right. I think it's a Gypsy Days we do. Very cool. Well, you know, one of our main focuses here today is to talk about um, some of the new projects you have coming up. And uh, you know, it's been I think about seven years since you released your last album. And uh, when did the concept and, and the motivation of returning to the studio come to you? Is this yeah. Have you been uh, developing this material over the years, or is this something you've just really dove into uh, recently? This latest work has been on my mind uh, since the release of the last record. Uh, So it's been Uh on my mind for seven years, and um, I'm constantly writing, uh, and I'm just storing the songs in a a sort of, if not a physical trove, you know, a, a virtual trove. Um, but many times I'll come to the studio and just lay them down, uh, rough as they may be, j- just to have them laid down. But over the last seven years, I've written about 40 songs. And wow. um, so I decided two, about two and a half years ago, um, mainly because um, of my accident five years ago, I started writing a lot of songs very quietly with my fingers on the acoustic guitar, steel string, and just okay. humming very, very lightly. And um, I, um, it was very therapeutic, by the way. Uh, sure. And I came up with a, a bunch of songs that I said, you know, I thought to myself, it might be interesting to do a full album with, with acoustic guitars. And yeah. that's how that idea was born. So I, I didn't want to abandon jazz and soul, you know, altogether. So I really fused... Americana style music, narrative music, a little folky, a little cafe yeah. style music, uh, with with 
with jazz and some soul and lo and behold this this new album um was born two years ago and i'm just about finished the tracks i'm starting vocals actually next week well you just mentioned that um you've incorporated you know modern and historic you know americana styles into these these songs and uh but i'm curious to know where those influences came from and and what kind of sparked that path for you you said you were you know kind of noodling on the guitar very quietly but where did the whole americana portion of this come into play i i mean i've always i've always liked uh the combination of americana folk you know i mean i've always uh-huh. been a fan of many songs of of dylan um i i uh, I've always liked Bonnie Raitt. I've always liked, uh, I mean, Alison Krauss and a lot of yeah. bands like that. And um, I wanted, to, I mean, I had a lot of lyrics uh, written down. Um, I wanted to take a lot of that poetry and put it to music. And uh, mm-hmm. there was a limit to how much how much harmony, how much movement I wanted to have. And it just, it lent itself quite perfectly to more of an Americana style, um, you know, music or music arrangement. And I, I got pretty good on the acoustic guitar. And, you know, f- for a couple of years, just not being able even to play a piano was too hard on my ears. Um, right, right. So, uh, you know, I kind of made lemonade out of the whole situation. And uh, and finally, I um, I started rec- put laying them down. And um, I, I was quite pleased. Many songs, though, uh, because of the relatively new concept of, of fusing jazz and soul with Americana style, you know, folk music. Um, it took me a few tries. Some songs took five distinct different productions to get closer yeah. and closer to what I wanted to do. And and um, that's why I, in the end, I recorded 30 songs. And I, right. I'm left with 15. And out of those 15, seven or eight of them have been recorded five times. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it, yeah. I I was hell bent, you know, to to emulate and to mirror what I was hearing in my head. Yeah, and that had to be uh, a that had to be a difficult process yeah. to whittle thirty songs in half. So I'm curious, you know, what do you do with the other fifteen? Are you going to just sit on those for a while, or maybe revisit those in the future? Well, I th- I think Ross had the best idea. You know, Ross said keep the fifteen you want to release now and keep the others yeah. you know for not too distant release i mean maybe uh yeah. you might see something like a, an album come out at christmas time and then another album come out nine months or 12 months later well the way i understand it also on top of those 30 songs for this this more narrative uh, americana sort of approach you've got you also have a classical project in the works and even a jazz project so can you I can do. you talk about those a little bit now, or how far along are you with those two projects? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the songs are written and all the demos are done, and all the voicings okay. have been figured out for the jazz project. And okay. most of, of the songs have been uh, figured out, written lyrically and musically, with all the piano voicings uh, and double stave um, music for for the uh, classical project. So they're quite far along. Um, I, I'm kind of busy for the next five years. well when you say classical project what what does that mean because that could mean a lot of different things i mean where are you headed with that well it's 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 uh the first thing that i would say that you know concisely put we say classical just so people know it's more orchestral right right. Um, but to me what it really means when i say classical is that there's really no holes barred uh, melodically rhythmically uh, musically um, and, and not necessarily have a it, it not necessarily with a rhythm section, 
really kind of further from pop, although there's always yeah. a pop sensibility, you know, to it because of, yeah. you know we live okay. in these times. But yeah. really, it's very uh, piano-oriented music and music that veers in, into tangents um, that that will you know break every pop rule you can imagine just to get the point across. And yeah. and many of the songs are six, seven, eight minutes. Some are twelve. You know, I've I've, I've sort of got a, a follow up question on that regarding the same question for the for the jazz because I can see your you know your vocally uh, really locking in really nicely with the jazz approach also. So tell us about the jazz approach. Is it going to be piano heavy? Is it going to be yeah. a little brass trad jazz or progressive jazz? Where, where uh, what kind of feel can we expect? Well, you know, there again, there's a little touch of Americana to them in the sense that they're not straight okay. ahead jazz lyrics or even pop style jazz lyrics they really right. are narrative too i mean songs like somewhere west and and um long dry season and tell it to the wind a lot of these songs were were poetry first and okay. if, that usually doesn't happen in jazz music so i i took uh, lyric verses and 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 set them to jazz style piano arrangements and then um i got a a bass player and a drummer to, to come and do the demo with me and I'll, I'll complete it, you know, maybe next year. But, I mean, I love that too. I, but it's it's quite sophisticated and I I, I just felt, you know, compelled uh, to come up with this Americana concept first. Yeah. You know, Gino, some of our guests in the past or most of our recent guests that are rolling out brand new projects and, uh, and are debuting some new work, you know, they're, they're writing a lot about uh, you know, global issues, you know. Political. Yeah, yeah political things, social oh, things, be and all that, just that. because of, you know, we're, it's, we've come full circle with, with the 60s are now the, you know, the, where we are today, and, and believe me, there's a lot to write about, but, but uh, what, what's going on at the heart of your song's messages? What are you writing about? What, uh, what are influencing you? Because you're up there in the Northwest, and, um, you know, what, what kind of things do you let into your head to, that uh, cause you to, to write? I, I think about politics all the time because politics are just, you know, kind of like the, the hairs on the head of the being. You know, they're just an effect <laughs> of who we are, you know, as, as, as human yeah. beings. Um, just like religion. You know, religion is an effect of our thought process, our emotions. Um, right. But I, I just can't bring myself to write anything, you know, uh, narrowly and in your face politically because... The wind changes all the time. How I feel about one situation, or I may have a political opinion, and then six months later I realize, you know, I don't really like this guy at all. Or yeah. something happens that, that sort of is like pie in my face. So I tend <laughs> to look at the heart of the matter. I tend to look at the principles and let the principles affect me more than the politics. Because the politics right. are just yeah. a skewed you know, version one way or the other, left or right or in the middle or wherever on the spectrum you think, a version of what principles a man or woman holds. And exactly. I, I tend to yep. gravitate more to those who have these principles. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, you know, I, I mean, I did a long and hard study of, of Karl Marx and Hegel and their whole approach to, you know, socialism, communism, however you want to call it, you know, the right. community first. And... Uh, uh, I, I would be very hard pressed to write a song, you know, that would just reek politically of Marxist yeah. or not. But 
I can certainly look into what they said and what they believed and what their purport was and poke a million holes in it. And, and just as, <laughs> just as a, a human being know why that would never fly, not, not at yeah. least in, in, in its original form. And yeah. anyone who tries to make it fly, you know, it, it will eventually fail. And I mean, for instance, I, I was really, really um, taken aback by, by the fact that most people with who, you know, the intellectuals who praise, you know, that whole, the Marxist manifesto, uh, the communist manifesto, you know, really skim mm-hmm. over the fact there's two glaring terrible faults. And one of the glaring faults is, is that everything is public property. Well, you've yeah. just thrown away pride of ownership and people, everything will be like a rent-a-car and a, and a month, month-to-month apartment. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. The second thing in, in the manifesto is that your children don't belong to you. They belong to the state. And uh, that will never fly. And if it does, then you, you, dead, <laughs> you deaden so people. <laughs> if you try to make it fly, you know, you turn people into automatons. So, I, I mean, there are some... But there, there was a reason for it existing because of, you know, the German class system of 1860, and, and it served a purpose. So it's important to understand where all these things come from. But really, right. to, to go back to your question, I'd rather write a song about the love of, of my children or the love of my child right? Or, or, or how great it is to finally buy my first car or finally buy my first house at you know, 22 years old. And so, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, it is a, a, a direct rebuke of that, um, of that philosophy without really having to write about politics. Yeah. All right. Good, right. good, good. That's good. Well, hey, Gino, you have, uh, I know you have a studio in your home, and I know that's probably a, a place where you primarily, you know, that's your creative space where you compose and you think and, and you know, you, you, you work on your songs. But do you, do you also track and mix your entire projects there as well, or do you go elsewhere for that? Oh, no. My, first of all, my studio is not in, in my house. It's about five, six Oh, okay. oh I thought right. it was. It's in, uh, um, it's about well i i, I live in in the northwest uh, in the columbia uh-huh. gorge and it's maybe it's a little closer to portland uh, but not too far oh, from okay. my house and i enjoy leaving the house trust me i, 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 I <laughs> well yeah. that's where you were going with on this <laughs> yeah yeah and i i've been in this studio and it's quiet and i, I like being here i like having a place an office to go to i also yeah. give my master classes here uh we're, we're doing two weeks of master classes in in, in july um, and I always enjoy giving them because people come from all over the world, and and they come for a specific uh, purpose uh, to to uh, you know. In this case, it'll be to to take a class on production, and uh, another class will be for voice. And I can get very precise and very wonky with a lot of a lot of people who are aspiring artists or aspiring to know mm-hmm. more that I, I couldn't get with the regular public. Well, you know, speaking of studios and tracking, uh, are you? Um are you bringing in other musicians for this new project? Oh, yeah. and, is, and are those musicians primarily your touring band, or, or who else? Who, who primarily are you bringing in for these? Primarily my touring band, but I'll be using Curtis Salgado, who did some of the harmonica work on uh, uh, the Good Thing album. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, Reinhardt on drums and Jay on guitar and, and Patrick on sax. Uh, I, you know, I always use them, but a lot of you know because my my background is that I've. Uh, and I was a drummer for so many years, and as a kid, I, I learned how to play stand-up bass, electric bass. I learned how to play guitar, uh, piano, 
you know, all the rhythm section instruments. So I, I find that I can come, get get in the studio and, and do a lot of the heavy lifting myself, and then yeah. bring in certain people for you know uh, special touches, you know, some either a solo or like in the case of Curtis, you know, I mean, he plays such wonderful harmonica, and I bring yeah. sometimes um, uh, musicians in just to ask him, what do you think? You know, what would you add anything or subtract anything from this? Yeah, we were going to ask you about that about this too. You know, who's, you know, who's your who's your musical sounding board? You know, uh, you know, you're writing away, and of course you got Ross, and uh, uh, who, who's listening to your ideas? You know, when you start penning them, and you have the rough uh, track on a guitar, that type of thing, and and you get you know almost like a, an artist would get is way too close to it sometimes, which is not bad. But who who are those that you you really show? And let let uh, you know your music be exposed before uh, you you work on them completely. Well, there's going to be a professional aspect to it that you know uh, this right now. Universal would like to release this record, SRG Universal, and they're going to want to hear stuff very soon. I, I keep putting yeah, them off, you right. know, but I. So that there's going to be that aspect before we get to that point. I mean, there's always a conversation I have with with Trisha my wife about certain lyrics about certain approaches a track uh yeah. and she's been really close uh in so much as she understands exactly the intimate kind of americana style i'm going for that's still you know fused with some jazz and soul and um she kind of has the feeling when i venture off from it if it's too jazzy or if it's too you know kind of r&b and we lose that americana yeah. feel so she's a good reminder but I tell you guys, you know, the the best, you know, for me, and of course, my, my brother Ross and my son Anton, too, but uh, the the real very best for me is I, I, I work in the studio for a couple of days, and I think I got something really cool, and I, I make a mix, and I hightail it to myself. And then I go home that night, and I just spend time with my, with my dogs and my wife and do whatnot. Next morning, I just... Put it on, cop, you know, download, and mm -hmm. hear the the rough mix, and I know instantly whether I'm on the right track or wrong track. Yeah, and that's yeah. really been, it's time and distance, because yeah. you see, everything you could say this in your life, I'm sure. If you had time and distance for everything you've done, you'd probably do it better. <laughs> that's for sure, <laughs> right. exactly. And yeah, so, time and distance is really my friend. So if I were to mm -hmm. go home immediately and listen to it, that really is not you know the smartest thing to do. But mm -hmm. you sleep on mm -hmm. it, and your ears are fresh the next morning. You've listened to a few other things, you know that maybe you've listened to some shows on TV. I've listened, I've, I've tuned tuned in on a few artists and on Palladia or whatever. And then I go downstairs and I hear my mix, and I instantly it's like blink, you know, the first impression, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's all part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's my check and balance, really. It's, you yeah. know, to send it to myself. Never did that, cool. never had the you know, ability years ago to do that. But now we do. You know, we yeah. can make a quick MP3 and just send it to ourselves and, and listen to it in another place, another time. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's such a brave new world in the music industry these days. And with all the options for obtaining music, you know, albums simply don't sell like they used to. And oh, no. you just mentioned a second ago that Universal is thinking about picking up you know, this new record of yours. And But I wondered, you know, 
if Universal didn't work out, what be, what would be your strategy for for new projects that you know you plan to release? I mean, I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna go the digital download route, but are you still gonna uh, look at physical formats uh, for releasing your albums or? Uh, or both. Uh, what what's, what is your strategy for that? You, you know, it's a good question, Rick. Um, I'll give an example. Uh, two years ago, we recorded live in L.A. And um, it's a live show at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. And uh, yeah. it sold very well. I mean, I, mean I, I don't know what the numbers are, uh, but I know that we printed up uh, quite a few and uh, quite a few yeah. DVDs and uh, Blu-rays. And... Uh, I think the record has has made a, a somewhere like a couple hundred thousand dollars so far. You know, um, wow, that's good. Well, I mean, it was a very expensive. Nobody's seen any money from it yet, but uh, it was a very expensive <laughs> deal to do. Yeah, but uh, that's one example um, where you can go kind of the the old route and uh, SRG Universal picked it up, and um, we were on number one on Amazon for a few weeks in a row. Um, but this new record, I mean, SRG Universal wants it, but you know, I, I it's a very good question in the sense that if they can't really get excited about it and bring something really uh, new or something that I cannot bring, I, yeah. I, I won't let it go. I'll just find mm-hmm. a way to do it myself. Because today there are a lot of online uh, companies that help artists you know, put their stuff out. And you got to right. pay them, sure. of course. But um, it, rather than give up half my royalties to a, a record company that would not do anything for the record, I'd rather exactly. invest the yeah. money and have uh, some online company help me promote it. So I don't know. Right. That that's that's the long and short of it. Uh, a lot of it yeah. really depends on, in the end, how the album absolutely turns out, how the record companies feel about it, and what they tell me they're willing to do, and where they what they can do that I can't do. Uh, and and yeah. it's almost like in the old days, artists were trying to convince companies. Uh, I think the new paradigm is companies have to convince artists that they're worth taking as such a big piece. Well, your your answer of I don't know is is I think that's par for the course with most musicians exactly. these days because yeah. the 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 business is changing all the time. It's changing faster, you know, and almost you know on a, seems like a daily basis. So, it, it you know that's. Yeah, I don't know how you'd answer that question, so I was just curious. Well, I would tell artists that uh, artists should not be down, you know, about the whole prospect of, of right. you know, one-tenth the record sales that, that used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more normal. It's more like uh, there was a sliver uh, in, in you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s that existed mm-hmm. that never existed before. And that we're sort of back sure. to where we were in the 20s and 30s and 40s even, where records sell, but they're more of a, a you know, a, a slice or a sliver of an entirety. They're not the whole thing. And, you know, in, right. in our time in the 70s and 80s, you make a record, and if that record sold so many millions, many artists just could retire off of that. Right, uh, right. It, it's, it's just that little sliver of time doesn't exist anymore. And, right. and I, think, yeah, I think that's good. I think it makes better artists out of everybody. Yeah, that's exactly. a good point. Yeah, you know another aspect of the the music industry that is it, it really has changed, but it's it's coming full circle one more time with uh, just with the elevation of of touring dates. I mean the just the amount of dates that people are out there on the road. Um, you know how's t- touring treating you, and how many days out of the uh, of the year are you actually traveling, uh, Gino, these days? 
Well, I rather than tour too much, I'd rather tour effectively. Um, uh-huh. So uh, maybe we do 30 concerts a year, maybe more okay. sometimes, maybe sometimes a little less. But uh, I like to keep my voice in really good tip-top shape and um, the rest of me also. And it, when it, you don't do too much, it's sort of a constant honeymoon. Um, I think we'll only yeah. be doing five concerts uh-huh. this fall, two this summer. Uh, then there's the mass classes, of course, and then there's a couple of concerts just with duo, me and, and Greg on piano and up in Canada. Then next year, there's already maybe about 15 concerts booked. Uh, maybe we'll do 20, 25, you know, the beginning of the year up to, up to summer uh, next year. It's just really, uh, um, I noticed you could be the greatest runner in the world or the greatest, you know, bench presser in the world, but if you overuse that muscle, it'll just wear out. And uh, I, I still have a few projects in me, and I just, I'd like to be able to to be in physical condition enough to be able to deliver them on stage. That's good, right? Well, you know, you obviously have a deep catalog of songs from you know several decades, and I know that when it comes to live performances, you tend not to play them note for note. You know, you're you're not all that. I think I've read that you said that you're not all that nostalgic and you, you extend the boundaries of a song and take it to new territory. And, and I think I've also heard you say that one of the reasons you do this is, is really out of regret from, say, a musical perspective, that you contemplate you know, how you might have done it differently. You know? um, so, so when you're faced with the task of creating new material for an album, for a new album, you know, what's your peace of mind knowing that the song is actually in the right place and finished, at least for that moment? Well, it's it's a good question. Sometimes I'll listen to older um, songs that I thought I can't redo. I can't do mm-hmm. any better. There are certain things I've done in the past where I thought that that was it. That that's, for instance, I redid uh, the surest things can change. That was done mm-hmm. in 1977, and then I redid it in 2010. And yeah. it's been seven years of that. And I, sometimes I go back and I'll compare that remake to some of the new cuts I'm doing now, say sonically, vocally, arrangement, whatever, sound of instruments, and um, I'll listen hard and I'll say to myself, no, I think I hit the nail on the head. I couldn't do it better than that. Now, there are certain songs you know, that I've recorded in the past that I wouldn't really change much on. When yeah. we do uh, Nightwalker, I mean, I add yeah. the horns, but they're really kind of just accentuating the string lines. Um, okay. Pretty well, even, I remember, Reinhardt came to me, he said, Gina, what would you like me to play? You know, how would you like me to play Nightwalker live? I said, you know, Vinny did a pretty damn good job, so you can, you know, <laughs> start there at least. He came back yeah. to me, you know, during rehearsal, he said, you know, his playing was so good as, as a tribute to him, I've, I'm going to play it note for note the way he played it. And okay. uh, sometimes, you know, you just really hit the nail on the head. And uh, yeah, yeah. even for a drum part, and, and there's no reason to, to change it. And sometimes there's mm-hmm. certain elements of the song uh, that you figure they could be improved. And I, I, don't, I don't get too precious about it. And I think the audience knows that about me. Now, neither do I, you know, mangle and uh, turn the song into something totally different, at least without fair warning. But I usually don't do that. And they get the gist of the song the way it was, only sort of new and improved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Very cool. Hey, uh, just a couple of seconds ago, you uh, you mentioned uh, two master classes: the the art of production and also the art of the voice. And um, of course, those are classes that you'll be hosting, and they'll be starting at the end of the uh, of July. Tell us a little bit more about this uh, about these classes. Who is this targeted to? Just in case any of our listeners or anybody out there would be very interested in pursuing this type of a path. Well, they're they're the last two weeks of July. Uh, okay. They're held uh, in Portland in my studio, and uh, the, the morning class uh, is the art of production, and the afternoon class is the art of voice. It's three hours each class, and the students come for the full week. So it's not just a kind of a, a, a one-off. They get five gotcha. a five days intensive, um, and uh, we don't approach things theoretically or um, you know academically at all. There is a there's part of it that's a little academic, you know, but I've visited so many and taught at so many conservatories when I lived in, in Europe and uh, audited a few major schools here. I won't say which ones, but very well-known schools. And I thought, these kids are being ripped off. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, when you go in and you're auditing a, a vocal class and the singers have already dumped $200,000 in their, into their, you know, college fund... Uh, yeah. And they don't even understand what a diminished chord is. I mean, right. they're not getting their money's money's worth. So I decided that I, I really wanted to give um, kids or adults an intensive, and uh, so they come in for three hours. I mean, we're deep into it, and they understand my process, whether it be production. I show them how what I would do to produce a track from from scratch, how I conceive. We pick, we pick a song. And we start conceiving it together. We give ourselves a deadline, as if this thing has to be produced in five days. That's cool. And as far as voice, uh, I the, the, with the afternoon class, the first thing I, I look at uh, at a singer is is really um, I listen to their speaking voice, and I listen to their pronunciation, and I listen to their I look at their mouth formation, I look at their what their tongue is doing, and you got to start there. The other night we were watching a, a special on Frank Sinatra, and Trisha remarked, she says, my gosh, look how open his mouth is. I mean, look at how he uses his mouth mm-hmm. to really get this, this, this sound wave across. And a lot of people right. don't understand that, that, that technique. So they come in either wailing away, and they, they, their, their lips are not even moving as if they're trying to be a ventriloquist. And right. uh, so part of it is understanding our, our physiognomy, and then yeah. I teach a little bit about you know the the chords, what they're made of, and what are good exercises for the chords. And then we get into taking a song and go to the mic and start singing. Even if we do lo- one line at a time, uh, the artists will hear themselves the way I think they should be singing. And we A B, you know, from their maybe perhaps first performance on Monday to a, a performance that we built up till Friday. And in most cases, it's night and day. Wow, that's cool. That is very cool. That's really interesting. Well, uh, Gino, we're we're really excited about um, these new projects, and uh, and, and in, I guess in regard to the first project, this this more narrative Americana style album that you're you're working on. Mm-hmm. You said you've got seven or eight tracks recorded. Uh, when can we? When when do you think you'll have that released? What is your projection on that? Oh, there all the tracks are recorded. I'm just working on the last one right now, as far okay. as just sweetening it up a little bit. Um, 
I'm starting vocals next week and there'll be vocals and back vocals and maybe in a couple of solos. So I, I suspect I'll have it done by September, October. And okay, uh, I'm talking great. to Universal right now and, and we're thinking about releasing it either the end of the fall or the first quarter of next year. That's fantastic. Well, we hope you keep us uh, connected here because I we'd shall. love to have you on to talk more in depth about the, the, the tracks. And, Absolutely. And see how uh, the process was. That'd be great. Yeah, I mean, it's um, when you hear it, you'll 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 understand what I'm saying. It's re- it really yeah. straddles the line between you know Americana folk and, and jazz yeah. and soul. That's great, very cool. We're excited about it, and uh, Gina, we appreciate your time today. It's great to catch up with you. Yeah, All right, thank you. Thanks, Gina. All right, have a good day. See you. See Bye-bye. you later. Special thanks to Gino Vanelli for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents: Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom. Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, Yinka Oyelese, and Arnaud Legere for their support and content development. For the best in West Coast AOR, pop, jazz, and funk, tune in to Inside Music Cast Radio. Download the streaming app for Android and iOS devices, or listen at InsideMusicCast.com. Inside Music Cast is powered by Earshot Audio Post and Cabello Associates. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast and Inside Music Cast Radio. On this cold Norwegian My skin is unlivered Untouched And so unlivered